Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and I'm your Bible teacher today. And oh, how I love to share the Word of God with you. And today we come to a riveting chapter of the Bible. We're in Mark chapter 12. We're in this greater series called Walking with Jesus, and we're studying uh, the pages of the Gospel of Mark. And I don't know about you, but it is absolutely changing my life. My faith is growing as never before as we walk with Jesus from town to town, from village to village, as we sit with him in the temple and we observe all of his teachings. Friends, I've followed Jesus for many, many years, and my life has never changed like it is changing right now, studying the pages of the Gospel of Mark. I hope you've been in every broadcast with me. If you've missed any of this series, go back through the archives. Get on my website, awakentograce.com. Download our mobile app, Awaken to Grace, and jump into this series with us because I'll tell you, it is absolutely growing my faith and changing my life. Today we come to just such an intriguing chapter, and I can't wait to walk through it with you verse by verse. So let's go to God's Word today. We're in Mark chapter 12, and I hope you find Scripture as amazing, as fascinating, as intriguing, and as life-changing as I do. Mark chapter 12. At first, he gives an intriguing parable, the parable of the tenants. And we're going to understand that. Then he's going to be introduced to this group that constantly, I shouldn't say introduced, he again is going to be attacked by this, by this group of Pharisees. And they're going to be joined by their enemies called the Herodians. The Herodians were a group, they were political activists. They supported King Herod. The Pharisees and the Herodians hated one another. But Jesus became public enemy number one in Jerusalem. So much so was he public enemy number one that he brought two hated groups, the religious Pharisees and the political Herodians, and he brought them together. That's how bad they hated him. And you and I are going to watch Jesus masterfully embarrass the Pharisees and the Herodians. Then a group of Sadducees is going to come. And I'll explain to you what Sadducees are. And they are going to try to entrap Jesus as well. But while he embarrasses the Herodians and the Pharisees, he is going to flat out insult the Sadducees, and it is masterful. You're talking about a face slap. It's like Jesus just, psh, psh, and he just, ugh, watch it, you'll see it. Then there is a man who comes to Jesus, and like Mark typically does, we don't know his name, we just know that he was a scribe. A scribe would have been someone who documented the law. They were someone who translated the Bible. They preserved the Word of God. This man, being a scribe, would have loved God's Word. And when he heard Jesus teach, I believe he said to himself, I've never heard anything like that. It's extremely biblical. I've never thought that way before. I've never looked at it this way. And Jesus tells him, 
what is honestly, it's become my most favorite part of the book of Mark. I think when the scribe comes to Jesus with a very sincere question. See, the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, they were all antagonistic. But no, not the scribe. The scribe was very authentic. He had very genuine questions, very sincere questions. And let me tell you, my friends, Jesus never turns away sincerity. Jesus never turns away authenticity. He's drawn to it. And I believe when the scribe asked Jesus his great question, I believe Jesus smiled with the greatest smile. And in verse 34, look what he told the scribe. He said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. I believe that the reason Satan is opposing the sermon so strongly today, I believe why Satan is hindering the sermon so strongly today, is because there are many of you listening today that God would say the same to you. You are not far from the kingdom. You're beginning to hear things differently. You're beginning to look at God differently. Your heart is beginning to come open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's some of you listening that you're very analytic and you're constantly asking questions. Let me tell you, my friend, God is not afraid of your questions. But so often our questions come down to motive. What is the motive of our questions? Are our questions antagonistic? Are we trying to entrap Jesus? Are we trying to trip Jesus? Or are our questions sincere? Are our questions filled with unbelief? Or are our questions filled with genuineness? Lord, I desire to know. Let me tell you, Jesus loves people. Who desire to know the truth. That's why he would always say. Let he who has ears to hear. Let him hear. He didn't mean physical floppy ears. <laughs> He's talking about. The inward hearing. You see what I'm saying. He who has ears to hear. Let him. Hear. In other words. Those who want to know truth. Let them seek it. That's what Jesus is saying. And there's some of you that you're close. You, you're not all the way there. But you're a whole lot further than where you've been. And I believe Jesus would say the same to you today. Friend, you are not far from the kingdom. Now, let's go back to verse 1 and let's understand the text as we walk through it. So Jesus, now, actually, if you're going to understand the parable, you really are going to need to go back. Last week, we were in chapter 11. We saw the triumphal entry. He goes into the temple. Well, first, he curses the fig tree, which represents Israel and their Judaism and their way, the religious life, the temple, and so forth. We explained all that last week. Then he cleanses the temple. And then after cleansing the temple, the Pharisees are going to come to him and they're going to say, by what authority do you do these things? Jesus says, well, by what authority did John the Baptist come? And they were afraid to answer him. So they took the coward's way out and they said, we do not know. So Jesus, in all of his authority, said, 
Well, neither do I tell you what authority I do these things. Psh, psh. <laughs> so now Jesus is talking to the same group. He's talking to the same crowd. Now remember, it's Passover. Jerusalem has swelled from 100,000 people to over 1 million people in Jerusalem. The temple is shoulder to shoulder. Jesus has the attention of crowds and they're watching him and they're watching everything and they're hanging on every single word that the master is teaching. And it is driving the rulers and the authorities and the religious folks It's driving the big wigs It's driving the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians. It's driving them out of their head. And so what are they going to try to do? They're going to try to discredit Jesus. They're going to try to trip him. They're going to try to entrap him. So Jesus, when he, tells this para- when he tells this parable, he's talking to the religious people, but he's also talking to the huge crowd who's listening. And what is a parable? Remember, a parable is an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. In other words, there is eternal truth in an earthly story that we can easily envision and we can easily understand. So here's what Jesus says. It's the parable of the tenants. He says that a man planted a vineyard. An owner, a landowner planted a vineyard, a vine. Now, the average Jew knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Our Western ears, aren't, we're not going to pick up as quickly as what a Jew in the temple would have understood that day. So you have to go back to Jeremiah and understand that in the book of Jeremiah, God compares Israel to a vine that he planted, a vineyard that God himself planted. So the Jews knew exactly what Jesus was saying. As a matter of fact, in their grand temple that Jesus is in, in this day teaching, it was destroyed in 70 AD by the Roman army. But in this day, in our text in Mark 12, Jesus was inside the temple. And on the east side that faced the Mount of Olives, they had these beautiful golden doors. And on these golden doors that entered the temple were crafted in these beautiful vines. Why? Because the Jew knew Jeremiah, Israel is God's vine. So Jesus is striking Right to the heart of what every Jew would have known. And he says, so a landowner plants a vineyard and he's ready to harvest his fruit. So he sends sends the servants to get the fruit and they beat the servants. Some they beat, some they strike in the head, others they murder, and then others still yet they beat. And so then the landowner says, oh, but I will send my son and my son they will respect. But no, what do the tenants say? They go, oh, he's the heir. If we kill the heir, then all of the fruit will be ours. See, this goes right back to what we taught last week, the cursing of the fig tree. What did we say the fig tree represented? Israel. And what was the fig tree? It was big and leafy and showy and it looked amazing. But when Jesus looked for fruit, it was barren. It was empty. It was fruitless. And he cursed 
the tree because it was unfruitful. It should have at least had, what do we say, those round marble buds, but Jesus could find no fruit. It's the same. The, the owner, Israel, is fruitless. So the tenants murder the son, and what has Jesus been teaching? He's going to go to Jerusalem. He will be killed, and on the third day he'll rise again. The Pharisees knew that Jesus, verses 1 to 12, the Pharisees knew that Jesus was speaking about them. But again, they were afraid of the crowds. When you look at verses 13 to 17, now they're going to try to trick him. They're going to try to entrap him. So the Pharisees and the Herodians, these two enemies, come together, and this is what they ask Jesus. Is it lawful? To pay taxes. Now remember, Israel is occupied by Rome. The Jews hated Rome. They didn't want to be occupied. They were foreigners in their land, and their territory. They didn't want the Roman government. They didn't want the Roman system. They didn't want Roman money. They didn't want Roman soldiers. But it was the way of life. So they tried to ask Jesus in front of this massive crowd... Should we pay taxes or should we not? Is it lawful or is it not? I don't know if you can hear the hypocrisy in that verse, verse 13. Verse 14, John Mark, who's writing this, tells us Jesus knew their hypocrisy. You should circle that word hypocrisy. See, what did I say? Our questions are not wrong. It's the motive behind our questions. That can be wrong. Anybody with me right now? So watch what happens. Jesus is inside the temple. Now, understand this. If you're going to take notes, you'll find this very, at least I find it extremely intriguing. If you and I lived anywhere in Israel and we traveled to Jerusalem for Passover to make our sacrifice, what kind of money would we have in our pockets? We would have Roman money. Because it's the Roman world. But see, in Jerusalem, in the temple, you could not use Roman money. You had to exchange your Roman currency for temple shekels. Now, why did you have to exchange your currency? Because the Roman currency had Caesar's inscription on it. To a Jew in the temple, that was idolatry. So because you had to exchange your your Roman currency for temple shekels and you had to use the temple money, if you and I were temple money exchangers and there were normally 100,000 in Jerusalem, but now this week there's going to be a million coming through the temple, what would you and I do to our exchange rates? We'd jump them. We'd increase them. We would make... Prophet. And the religious leaders and the political leaders, they were making hand over fist off of people, as we're going to see at the end of the chapter with the widow's might. And Jesus walks in and he cleanses this place. He destroys everything. He's so with a righteous anger because they've taken the holy things of God and they're taking advantage of people. Let me tell you, religion will take advantage of you. 
It will, as we'll see with the widow. And so Jesus, in a masterful way, in the most clever way, Jesus says, they ask him, shall we? Do we pay it or not? Is it lawful or not? And Jesus says, give me a denarii. So some bozo hands him a denarii. Do you know how dumb that was? Because you know what you're not allowed to have on the temple grounds? Roman currency. And do you know what Jesus just did? He just embarrassed those political and religious leaders because they themselves are not doing what they're making the average person do. He exposes their hypocrisy. And I bet when that bozo handed him a denarii, I bet half of them went, Oh, what is he doing? And Jesus masterfully says to the crowd, Whose inscription? And I bet those Pharisees went, Caesar. And Jesus says, then render to Caesar what is Caesar's, to God what is God's. And Mark says, they were astonished. Let me, let me translate that for us today. They had to pick their jaws up off the floor because Jesus just embarrassed them. Bravo, Jesus. Now he's going to be hit with the second, or really the third group, the Sadducees. The Pharisees have hit him. The Herodians have hit him. Now he's going to take on the Sadducees. Now what, what was the greatest difference between a Sadducee and a Pharisee? A Sadducee did not believe in a bodily resurrection. And this was a major point of contention between the Sadducees and Pharisees. Matter of fact, if you remember the book of Acts, when Paul is before the Sanhedrin, he very wisely brings up a dispute between the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and they get into such a fight over it, they completely forget about him. They're very crafty, very wise. They were always at odds with each other. And they didn't believe in a literal, physical, bodily resurrection as the Bible teaches. So they come to Jesus with an extremely clever question. They're going to, boy, they're going to try to entrap him. Now what you need to know about the Pharisees is they held with all their might to the books of the law. The Torah, the Pentateuch. What's the Torah? It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. Now, they held to that more tightly than other scriptures. And, and in a sense, we do that in our culture too. So, for example, for today's Christ follower, we really we hold, say, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, they're more practical to our daily life. Are, is Matthew or perhaps the Gospel of John, are they more inspired than, say, the book of Amos? No. But how many of us can... We're ten times more familiar with John's Gospel than we are Obadiah or Ezekiel 
right? It's not that it's less inspired scripture. It's just highly practical to our daily lives. So that's how the Sadducees were with the book of the law. And they prided themselves. They were, oh, the arrogance. They prided themselves that they followed Moses' law. And so Moses did write a law in, in Deuteronomy 25, verse 5, that if a woman's husband dies and they do not have children, if he has a brother that's eligible for marriage, he should marry her and give her children. That his brother's name would not be blotted out of the heritage of Israel. All this has to do with their customs and their culture and very deep roots here. So the Sadducees are going to come to Jesus and they're going to say, (laughs) far stretch here, but they're going to say, so let's say a woman marries a husband, he dies, her brother marries her, he dies, the next brother marries her, he dies, and the next brother marries her, and he dies, and and that's, that's, that's stretching it, guys. But Jesus plays along, okay? And again, you can hear the hypocrisy. They're saying, then if you believe in a literal, physical resurrection, then whose husband, whose wife will she be? Is she really going to have seven husbands in eternity with a physical resurrection? And how Jesus answers them. Masterful. First of all, so if he embarrasses the Pharisees and the Herodians, he's flat out going to insult the prideful Sadducees. Here's what he says to them. He says, you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. Now, come on. That, that would be like telling someone today who's some kind of big religious bigwig who has multiple letters after his name, who's doctor this and doctor that and PhD in, in theology, and saying, you don't really know the Bible. And he may not. It's different to know the text and to know the God of the text. And he tells these arrogant men... You know neither the scriptures, remember that's what they prided themselves on knowing, nor the power of God. And then Jesus says something highly interesting. He says, he says, there will not be marriage in heaven. Now, this is very interesting. And I'll be honest, my wife, she has a problem with this verse, but she has to take that up with God. She says, you mean, she told me this. She said, you mean to tell me that I'm going to spend a lifetime training you? And then I'm not going to be married to you for all of eternity? And I'll be honest, I don't think I want to be married to her for all of eternity. Did you see the, what she did to me this week? Did you see it? Let me explain if you didn't see it. I can feel my blood pressure going up right now. Somebody pray for me. We are over here in the conference room in staff meeting. And I look at my wife, my helpmate, the woman that God gave me. And I look at her and I say, and we're in a business meeting, a staff meeting. And I say, how many guest cards came in Sunday? 
And she said, 10. I said, whoa, really, 10? 10 guest cards, that's great, yeah. And all of a sudden, she goes, ah, shoot! And sneezes on me. Well, what I didn't know is because I'm blind as a bat, she takes a water bottle and sprays my face with that water bottle, making me think she sneezed on me. And in 15 seconds, I felt stunned, I felt disgusted, and I felt angry. And then, to rub salt into the wound, she recorded it with her phone. I told her on Wednesday, I said, well, maybe no one will see it. And, and a day later on Wednesday, it had 48,000 views. So, no, I don't think I want to be married for all of eternity. As a matter of fact, I think we need marriage counseling now. But anyways, I'm way off the text. Where am I? All I know is your sins will find you out. And vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. So, I don't know what he's going to do. <laughs> anyways, where, where are we? Marriage in heaven. So... Jesus says, you don't know either the scriptures nor the power of God. And he says, when it comes to marriage in heaven, you're going to be like the angels. And they don't marry. Now, I don't think that that does not mean that families will not be together in heaven. I don't think that's what it means at all. Matter of fact, the Bible says that we will be known even as we are known. Uh, my precious friend and brother, Randy Reese, that just went home to be with the Lord. I believe as soon as I see him in heaven, I'll know him. As soon as I see him. So I don't think that does not mean that we won't recognize one another. See, understand this. Marriage is a physical act. It's a physical covenant. It's a physical bond. And it can only be separated by a physical act. Be it adultery or be it death. Because marriage is physical. Heaven is a place of the soul. Not a place of the physical. Not until the resurrection. So there's not going to be marriage in heaven. I, think, I do think families will be together. So let me tell you why I think that. When we were studying the book of Revelation. And we were preaching verse by verse through it. And we came to the point of the 12,000 tribes out of... 12,000 called out of all 12,000. Out of all 12 tribes. Uh, I'm just astonished by that. Uh, what that tells me is God knows the family lineage of every one of those 12,000 that he's going to call, no matter where they are in the world. He knows their DNA. He knows their background. He knows their family heritage. He knows their lineage. When I preached through that, I began to think, you know, when I really believe this. When, when Christ comes and the dead in Christ shall rise first and we who are alive and remain, we should be called up together. I think families will be called up together. I think my dad will be one of the first people that I see. Let me tell you, if God knows through 
all of those millennials, through all of those centuries, if God knows the family lineage and the heritage of those 12,000, God knows ours too. And I, just, I think families will be together. I don't think marriage is going to be in the sense that we know it on the earth. But let me tell you, I think it's going to be far better. I think it's going to be better. It's going to be different. But it's going to be better. So people who worry, say someone is a widow and they remarry again. Or someone who, uh, you know... Whose husband will you be? Whose wife will you be? No, it's not going to be marriage in the way that we know it on the earth. But I think it's going to be far better. So then he says in verse 27. He goes, do you not know the book of the law? Do you not know what Moses wrote? (laughs) Friends, this is highly insulting. Do you not know what you are an expert in is what he's saying? When the burning bush happened, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God's the God of the living. And then he says, you're talking about a mic drop. Then he says, you are quite wrong. Jesus is holding nothing back on this last week of his earthly life and ministry. Now in verse 28, we're going to see the scribe. Now, who is this scribe? We don't know his name. But I believe when he hears Jesus speak, I believe he says to himself, I've never heard anything like this. I think, he, I think he's saying, I've never thought like that. I've never thought this way. So he asks Jesus a question. He says, <laughs> he says uh, uh, what's the greatest commandment? Now remember, he's a scribe. He's someone who loves the word of God. He preserves the word of God. He copies the word of God. He, the word of God is his life. And he asked Jesus, he said, then what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, God is one. It's Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And this man, faith begins to come into his heart. And the man goes, yeah, that's exactly right. And the man says something really amazing. He says, This is better than all the burnt offerings and all the sacrifices. You know what he just said there? He just said, loving the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the way you treat others, to love your neighbor as yourself, that's better than all the religious systems of the world. That's better than all the ceremonies, all the rituals, all the sacrifice, all the doing good, all the being moral, all the being religious. It trumps it all. And the guy goes, "Ah, I get it. And Jesus says the most fascinating thing to him. Verse 34. He says, you are not far from the kingdom. Friends, there are many of you right now today. You're not all the way there yet because you've not turned fully from your sin. You've not trusted fully yet in Jesus. You you are not yet a full-on Christ follower. But you're near. You're closer now than you've ever been. 
I've come to tell you today, I have fought sickness to stand in this pulpit today to tell you it's time to take that final step. It's time to become a Christ follower because you have been near to the kingdom of God. Amen. Love your neighbor as yourself. What's that mean? When you love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's out of your love for the Lord. It's that vertical love that's going to so impact that horizontal love. And you're going to begin to love people. You know what I think it means for those of us who follow Jesus today? I think to love your neighbor as yourself. I think it means the things that you're thankful for. And the things that you love in your life, you share with others. For example, I love to eat. Anybody else love to eat? Well, you're supposed to be fasting. I don't know what you're doing. But you're supposed to be fasting. No, I'm kidding. We are in a big fast right now. So I won't go deep into talking about food. But listen, if we love to eat, should we not be feeding others? How many are thankful for the clothes you wear? If you're thankful for your clothes, should you not clothe others? How many of you are mighty grateful for the roof that's over your head? Should you not want to house others? Provide housing? Let me ask you a question. How many of you love the word of God? You love it. Should you not want to share it with others? We love others as we love ourselves. If I so treasure the word of God in my life, then I want to give that treasure to others. That's what it means to love others as you love yourself. And Jesus says, friend, you're not far from the kingdom. Now, Jesus is going to wrap this up with an amazing teaching. This scribe is different. And the point that I want you to understand is Jesus will not turn your sincere questions away. And Jesus will not turn you away. The question is... What is the motive behind your questions? If your motive is not pure, if your motive is antagonistic, then no, Jesus is not going to have anything to share with you. But if your motive is sincere and your motive is pure and your motive is genuine, Jesus loves people that want to seek truth. Bring all your questions to Jesus and he'll not turn you away. He'll handle you as graciously as he handled the scribe. Now, for the rest of them, he's going to have one more great warning. He's going to say in verse 39 and 40, he's going to say, Beware of these men. Beware of the scribes. Beware of the Pharisees. They love to wear their long robes. They love to pray their pretentious prayers. They love to be seen in the synagogue. They love to be invited to all the banquets. and They love to be seen. And then he's going to say something in verse 40 that you should pay very close attention to. He says, they devour the house of widows. Very interesting. Now remember who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to this massive throng, this huge crowd. And now he's going to take the eyes of the crowd and he's going to divert their eyes toward the offering box. And he's going to have one final lesson for this chapter. They're going to watch people do their giving. 
And the Bible says that many people who were quite wealthy came and they dropped their wealthy gift into the box. Pretty impressive. But then there's a widow that comes. And the widow takes all that she has, only two copper coins, not even the value of a penny. And she takes the last of what she has, these two copper coins, and she puts it in the offering box. And Jesus said, I tell you, she gave more because she gave out, not out of her abundance, but out of her poverty. Any sermon I have ever heard on this text, they always preach on tithing. On how you should give. You know, the... I'm sorry, and I may be... I'll, I'll just tell you my perspective. I don't think the point that Jesus is making is tithing. Although that's very important. <clears throat> I'm doing some things right now in our personal life that is requiring money and sacrifice. And I'm making some decisions and I'm doing some things for my family that is causing... A lot of financial sacrifice, but I don't sacrifice my tithing. My tithing is not for my family to play with or do a project or allocate. You know, my tithe belongs to the Lord. It's not mine to mess with. It's his. But I don't think tithing is his point. If you will link... Verse 43 and 44, the widow's might, <clears throat> she gave the last that she had. Link that to verse 40. Beware of the Pharisees. Beware of this religious system. Beware of this temple. Beware of the structure of religion because they devour widows' houses. You know what I think Jesus is saying? I think Jesus is saying they've already foreclosed on her house. And now they've convinced her to take the last of what she has and give it. Let me tell you, friends. God is nowhere in that. Nowhere in it. Jesus is warning us. Let me tell you, precious friends. Your love better be centered on God and not this church. Your love better be centered on the kingdom of God and not religion. Because religion will steer you wrong every single time. I'll never forget. I had a widow in our church who her husband passed away very tragically. And, you know, it was a situation where family was taking advantage of her. And I'll never forget. She brought me a check one day here at the church. This was many years ago. And. We were much, much smaller and struggling ourselves. And she handed me a check for $17,000. And I said, what are you doing? She said, I want the church to have it. I don't think she really meant that. I think she was so tired of fighting this and fighting that. And I sat her down and I said, we're not going to take that. You need to take that. And I gave it back to her. And I said, you need to lock it down. 
this is not for you to give. Religion will take advantage of you, but not Jesus. And we didn't accept it. I don't know what questions you have today. I don't know what doubts you have. I don't know what concerns you wrestle with. But I'll tell you this. Jesus isn't afraid of them today. The only thing you got to figure out is what's my motive? What's my motive? But I know in my heart, I, I, I don't know if I've ever had Satan oppose a sermon harder than he's opposed today. And I know why. Because many of you are near kingdom. You're not far from it. I want to invite you today to take the greatest step you've ever taken and say, Jesus, I may not have every question of mine answered. I may not know everything that I feel like I want to know. I may struggle with doubt. I may have confusion in mind, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm simply going to trust you. And I give you me today. If you enjoyed today's broadcast and would like to hear more great content, you can always download our free mobile app, Awaken to Grace, where you can request prayer, find sermons, articles, blogs, music, podcasts, as well as support us financially. You can also visit either of our websites at www.preachingchristchurch.com or www.awakentograce.com for more information about our church or our resource ministry. Thank you for listening to Awaken to Grace.